David Thorpe, it's time for Bring It In. Today is the Monday after the Oscars in early 2022, and we're going to talk about the Miami Heat, Kevin Durant and the Nets, the Lakers, the Pelicans, the 76ers, James Harden, the Utah Jazz, the NCAA, St. Peter's, and not Will Smith and Chris Rock. I'm down for that, buddy. We're not going to do it. Good. We had a little slip in the pre-recording moments. <laughs> we got we out of our did. system. There's a lot of basketball to talk about. Laser focus on the NBA is what we're doing today. Locked in. Um, okay. Let's open with the Miami Heat. They were they were the front runners in the East. They had a good lead. Then they had a little fight on national TV, and they've lost four in a row. And now basically the whole Easter Commerce is tied. It's <laughs> unbelievable. What's going on? What's going on in Miami, David? I mean, it, it seems like they're not playing defense, and that's kind of their calling card. Mm-hmm. I looked up a lot of numbers. There's really no good trend for them going back the last 15 games, 10 games, five games, four games. They lost four in a row, not playing defense at all. And uh, it's just a guess, but I would think that maybe the root of the problem is that, that you know, this, is, this is their identity. It's not just being tough-minded. If they were tough-minded but didn't pay attention to defense, what's the point of being tough? <laughs> Offensively, obviously, being tough is good too, but they're not they're – not, performing on that end and uh i think it's un- they're unraveling because of it so on the show on friday uh you and Drod were talking about the notion that um jimmy butler might be fed up with something that happens commonly in the nba where his teammates get repeatedly attacked. um attacked in isolation yeah. especially on that team duncan robinson and tyler hero tyler hero wasn't in the game right. where that fight broke out but um or fight i'm not gonna fight argument um but what do you have you come along in that thinking is that uh what you see happening in the game since friday well you know i think here at true we like to point out inconsistencies in perspectives uh you do it on a global scale i'm just my brain is much smaller so i can kind of focus on just a tiny little piece of wood but I just have a weird obsession with Putin. I'm with, I'm with you on that, brother. Um, <laughs> so I think you and I have spent, you know, 11 million hours ripping mm-hmm. on isolation-based, hero-based offense. If I could tell you that the other team is just going to play one-on-one against one guy, and we know that defensively, I really think we're going to go a long way towards beating that team unless that player is just the worst defensive player on the planet. Well, I don't think Coach Bolster is in the business of playing those guys typically. So I, I don't agree that it's just ISO-based issues. The metrics don't point that out, and I know you've got some data on that, but I've looked a lot of stuff up too. As an example, Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, in the last four games, again, they've lost all four, they have a much worse defensive rating than when Tyler Hero was in the game and he was only in two of those games. And of course, defensive rating is not an individual statistic. It, it's, it's really hard just to look at that, which is why the, the more sophisticated advanced metrics over the course of a season, I think, are more valuable than any one, two, four game stretch. Nonetheless, I think it's deeper seated than that. It isn't just about being targeted. Uh, if you, we're going to talk about the Nets, I know later, there was a possession where Plumley got a dunk. On a, on a side a fake handoff on the, on the left wing, kind of the left above the break. And it really was the help defense that failed as much as anything. And so if Hero or Duncan Robinson or whomever on Miami, Kyle Lowry, isn't performing in that end, well, that's just as egregious as being beat on the ball too. 
So I, I think, again, it goes to a, a deeper-seated problem with their defense. There's so much going on. Actually, there's um, – hold on. In, in uh, my, my new favorite basketball book, The Great Notesky by so Thomas Plutzinger, um, there's, a, there's an episode from – I'm pretty sure it's from the early in the 2010 playoffs. Anyway, um, before Dirk had ever won a championship, there was a moment where he's just screaming at the bench – he can't play in this game about his teammate, J.J. Barea. And Barea was getting targeted, and Dirk basically sided with the opponent, right? He's like, we got to get this guy out of here. And um, it was seen, written about in this book anyway, as like a little bit of Dirk's emergence as a leader. He loves Barea. Barea loves him. They get along great, but like that doesn't mean Barea is good for every situation. And um, there was a little bit of just like, wow, that was, you know, th- this is an old basketball debate, right? Um, and I, and I imagine if you're Jimmy Butler or Kyle Lowry, you're obsessed with trying to solve this puzzle of making the defense work. And I imagine your teammates are a mix, right? They're a mix all year, right? Sometimes they break your heart a little. Sometimes they delight you. And this late in the season, maybe you just get fed up, right? But but I thought about this. Uh, the first person I ever talked about this was J.J. Redick when he was not getting minutes. And I the rep was that he was a terrible player, a terrible defensive player. And I forget exactly. I... I during warmups, I think in Philadelphia, I asked him about it, and um, the advanced stats showed he'd progressed mightily. This was maybe second year, and um, I was like, "Why don't you know? Why do people isolate you? Why do they go after you?" And he's like, "You know, basically like, well, there are reasons for it, but I don't want to talk about it." And I was like, "Well, you know, you know, is it because of your reputation? Is it because you were a dookie? Is it because you're white? Right?" And he's kind of like, "You tell me, right?" And um, and then now he hosts a podcast. And now he's ready to explain the whole story, you know, how many years later. And uh, he had Tyler Hero on the show. And um, basically he's like, do you, this is a quote, do you feel like because you're white with short arms, teams would target you defensively? And Tyler Hero says, yeah, yeah. I mean, me and Duncan know at this point going to the game, they're coming at us no matter what. We'd be playing the best defense in the world. They're still going to come at us. Uh, Reddick says, I feel like at times if I've gotten five fucking Fucking five out of six stops. I know they're going to manipulate a ball screen, so I got to guard their best player. And Tyler Hero was like, "Yep, yep, that's how it is." So I feel like Tyler Hero and Thompson are getting targeted in isolation a lot. Where they're so-so, you know. They're I just looked it up. Um, in general, as defenders, they're like, well, Tyler's at the James Ennis, Davis Bertans, Markel Fultz level, a little better than Cole Anthony, Devontae Graham, CJ McCollum, De'Aaron Fox. I could go on. Karis Levert, Lou Williams, Trey Young, Norm Powell, Anthony Simons, Kobe White, um, John Morant, about the same. Um, so it, it's a, there's a whole little NBA drama that happens there, right? And it happens on the playground. You know, I, I don't misunderstand it, but I think that it's uh, getting isolated isn't quite the same as being terrible at defense. Well, I'm, I have a different approach to it. Uh, I, I've been helping players try to win basketball games for a long time, and that, that topic has never once been brought up, the color of their skin. What we have brought up is what you also said, which is short-armed or weak, although J.J. Is, ended up not being weak, and I was a fan of J.J. Redick as a defender. I just thought he needed some time to figure it out. Uh, they, this is a cutthroat business. And you can't make a living going after a white dude if he can really guard. And these guys want to make a living. So all the other players you mentioned, they get targeted too, you know? And um, 
I think I think there's a big issue. In fact, we're we're going to talk about the Nets again. I was, we were watching you and I were talking about Kevin Durant on the phone this morning. I really watched tape of that. Uh, it's one thing to be targeted. I, I think it's a mistake going back to what I said before. If teams just hunt out a guy at the as the primary directive of the attack, as opposed to because you just like, the advanced stats are super clear on this, right? Like if you get the offense to choose isolation you hurt the offense. So it's a win already. Right. Right. So the better yeah. coaches are scheming to get those weaker defenders in the second and third side and fourth side actions. Where ultimately then that person isn't going to make that extra rotation or he's not going to take the charge or he's not going to even bring help at all, whatever. And so, yeah, this is what I'm saying. I don't think it's good basketball just to play hero ball all the time against in a matchup you think is bad, unless you do it after some passes. Then I think it's really Dude, you're definitely right, but Tyler Hero got targeted 19 times in a row. Yeah. And like that that there's not no race in that. Right. right? I, like, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know that it's race or not. I think it's a mismatch. And they're in their minds, they're saying that guy can't guard. I'm just again JJ Reddick thinks there's race in it. I, I realize and Duncan that, Robinson and Tyler just, Hero think it's race in it. But just because they feel that doesn't mean it's accurate. I'm happy to have that debate. Right. I'm happy to have the no, debate right. so, that if he could right, really but, guard, but, they wouldn't target him. Right. Like, of course you're right. Like, I mean, I guess this is why I'm using the advanced stats to say, like, he's right in the soup with everybody else, right? Like, so, but what's driving it, right? Like, J.J. Reddick's opening with, like, like, he, do you feel like you're targeted because you're white? And and Tyler and Duncan are like, yeah, right? So I think I, like, that, a lot of dumb things happen in games. One of them might be this. Right? Well, but I'll argue this. J.J. Reddick used to get targeted when he was in Orlando. I went to the games. And I thought, well, yeah, he sucks on defense right now. They stopped targeting him, and for years they didn't target him because he was—he didn't suck. He was—he was aggressive as hell. Scalabrini used to get targeted because he was a big, slow guy. Then they realized actually he's got a little fight in him. They didn't go after him nearly as much. So I'm saying, you want to stop getting targeted? Fucking play better defense. Then they'll—then they'll stop going after you as much. And remember, it's not a vacuum, Henry. They're not going after Kyle Lowry, although maybe they should a little bit more. He's much older. They're not going after Jimmy Butler for sure. They're not going after Bam Adebayo for sure. Gabe Vincent, decent on defense. They probably go after him a little bit. Duncan Robinson definitely is weak. I don't think he's, I don't know that Duncan's short arm. Maybe he is. He's definitely weak armed. That power is a part of this on defense. Neither of those two guys are very are, are powerfully built defenders, and also they much prefer playing offense. So that is a mindset issue for them. If, if you're not, if we can look up the numbers. If teams weren't very successful against them, they'd be stupid to continue to go after them. And, and most, and 100% of the players that I've talked to, we've only talked about targeting bad defenders, not the color of their skin. Well, of course you, right? No one's talking about you, right? Like we're just talking about what happens out there in the bigger NBA. Yeah. And I think like, I don't think it's a question of only white players get targeted in this way. For sure. But I think- right. I think white players get over targeted in this way. Just listening to JJ Redick, I think that, right? Like, I think that, you know, like my point is that Tyler Hero, I, I was interested to know we really have data. Um, every team has data that we don't have right. about how he actually is in isolation as a defender, which matters. But um, in general, as a defender, he's totally average, right? Like, he's right there with practically everyone in the whole league, and not everyone in the whole league gets targeted as often as he does. And I don't, I, I think it would be disingenuous to suggest that race isn't part of that. It feels like, like he's targeted a ton. Um, and, and he's not the only one, but like there are, you know, Devontae Graham, an identical in the stats, like not targeted that often, right? Not, not well, at the rate see, of Tyler Okay. So, but this is exactly where you need to go, Henry. 
I don't know the answer to that, but I would tell you when I watch the Pelicans, I, that's who I think they should be targeting. And I well, think, yeah, but and, and I think what we're do. talking about today, right? But I think they do sometimes. Like, I think they do feel like the depending on who they're on the floor with, they got to go after someone. I, 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 wait, wait. So my only point is the gap. Yeah. Right. We only, I think we agree that Devontae's is yeah. targeted a lot less than that's why. Like, I think the gap, I think there's a race in the gap. I do, but it doesn't really matter tremendously. But, um, I just think that we talk about the NBA or we like on, on, on the TV network, they'll talk about like, Oh boy, they target Tyler hero a lot on defense because they think he's weak. Sounds like he's weak. <laughs> right. But sometimes it's something else too, right? Sometimes it's like they target him a lot because they target him a lot, well, <laughs> right? Like stop in, using pronouns. Some players may do that more than the, than the, than the league in general, and and they're wrong to do so, as we we could talk about. Those individual players may target the, those guys because the colors can. I, I won't argue that that exists. It's 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 just not smart to do for a million other reasons that we've we all know well. Uh, but my is working right now. Huh? You know what I mean? What's that? <laughs> Except over the last four games or last two games he's played anyway, the Heat keep losing. And at least it's like caused. I do. I, I don't disagree with you at all issues, that, that right? it's part of the construct of the problem there. Uh, and again, as I said, Jimmy Butler and Lowry in the last four games have a worse defensive rating than Tyler did in those two. Uh, but the answer, and again, I, I don't, I'm not friendly with JJ. I did know him back when he was in Orlando. I, he knew I was a fan. We did speak a couple of times then. And uh, if you remember, I had Courtney Lee on that team that I had helped since he was in college. And Courtney got targeted, too, because he was a rookie. And I told Courtney, yeah. it's a, there's a really simple solution. Be better. Like, they'll stop going. They, they, that doesn't mean they won't go after you. It, it's just because someone's got to go after someone as the possession winds down. But they won't come down saying, where's Courtney Lee? That means you got to bring some fight to your game originally. you got to defend that first few seconds of a possession and then you're just another dude on the court. And then you can relax a little bit in a sense. Don't do it too much because they're right back after you again. The cutthroat guys are hunting those people all the time. No, of course you're right. Like it's a, I mean, the, it's a bullying mindset. Very right? great like, way to put it. And, and bullies look for weakness yeah. or even perceived weakness. Correct. Right. So like, you know, th this is, I mean, this is where like an old school coach slash parent forever would be like, oh, just. Tyler Hero, you just got to deck somebody, right? So you don't got bullied right. anymore, right? right? Like that's there's that's a, a great there's way to a put military it. school of thought yeah. about this. You right? got to bring a little funk to your game a little bit one time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the great thing about the NBA, in my opinion, is uh, the best players will continue to make you show it. And as soon as you start, whether it's a, whether you're slowing down uh, because you're getting older, or I mean, a, a, well, like Luca did to LeBron, exactly. Ask a player who's yeah. got to hurt, like. Players don't want anyone to know their thumb hurts, their wrist hurts, because, man, they slap right. on it more than ever. Like, they're hunting that weakness all the time. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, it, you don't want to play pickup with that guy, by the way. I know, I know. <laughs> it's the worst. Yeah. It's just like, you know, a guy has got a bum ankle, you run more. You know, you run, they can yeah. use screens more. This is, it's a killer, killer be killed mentality for sure. Yeah, it, I am sure that when yeah, hello Henry, I am sure <laughs> that when it started, when he first came into the league, Alex Caruso was a victim of this, and you know, and yes, Henry, you are right. Race plays a factor into it, right? It's just because what you guys are not saying is what I can say, which is people assume, and by people I mean the general person you ask on the street, assume basketball is a black man's game. Hell, Larry Bird said it right in the eighties. Basketball is a black man's game. 
He said it, right? And that's how most people think. So they see the white kid on the court. They're like, ah, he's unathletic, slow, not very good. I'm going to go after him. And I bet Alex Caruso's first couple times in the league, that's what they did. People don't do that now because they know, oh, this dude's real good at defense. I'll cut that shit out real quick. <laughs> yeah, this is – yeah, be successful. Like, they're, they're – listen, they, you don't think they picked on Aaron Brooks? They did pick on Aaron Brooks. Is he so slight? Um, but, yeah, like I said, there, there, there are some individuals I'm sure that do it. Generally speaking, you know, I say this all the time. Jerron and I have talked about it a few times on our Friday shows. It's just such a hard league to be good at. And so uh, – Whatever the case may be, whether it's color your skin or your weakness or whatever, like you've got to get better or you're screwed. There's just so much talent and, uh, and we're more skilled than ever. It's really, it's scary to think about what, and we'll talk about the NCAA tournament. Mark Williams is 7-1 with a 7-8 seven, seven, wingspan who gets a steal in their half court, Henry, in the game the other night and drives to the basket and one of the other team's guys kind of try to strip at the rim. He decelerates like a guard. And then just easily lays it up. It was so sweet. Like 10 years ago, the seven-footer would have crashed into the eighth row if he tried to do that. Yeah. We're just so much better at so many things now. It's incredible. So we actually, uh, we can segue right now to the Nets because um, yeah. the, the Charlotte went after Kyrie. I don't know. I didn't count, but like a gazillion times in the second half of that game. Like, and it often was effective. Yeah, so there you go. They're going to go after. Um, I, I didn't. I honestly, I didn't notice as much of that, Henry. I, I, I did think Kyrie failed. The one play in particular, you told me on the phone, it was a, it was a, a Plumlee dunk. Like a, a, he's a very athletic dude, and so if you take away his dunk, he's you've pretty much mitigated him. Whereas like with Kevin Durant, take away his dunk, he won't even notice. He's got so many weapons. Right. That's pretty much Plumlee's only weapon is the uncontested dunk. So they ran a little, a nice little. Uh, uh, Kind of fake DHO. He fakes the handoff. He goes to the rim. Uh, the um, the defenders, I think it was Curry and uh, Drummond, kind of messed it up. And so here comes Plumlee. Kyrie, though, was right there. And he just, he didn't have to take a charge. Just be in the way. Although he might have been run over. And he, he just wasn't having that. So, again, this mm. goes to, it's not, you know, the whole idea, as we've talked about, is to get the first domino to fall. So if I can beat you at the point of attack, now here comes help, and now we're playing four on three, three on two, or two on one, you know, one on zero. And, uh, but the more sophisticated tactics are how do we get Kyrie into the third side action? Because he's just going to no-show it, potentially. And, and honestly, though, Henry, and I, I want to talk about this game. The, the Nets, this was the classic case of the Nets were playing with their food. They, they just mm. were... Okay, your turn, KD. Oh, your turn, Kyrie. And we'll talk in a no in a moment about why that was such a terrible idea with Durant running on fumes. But that's what they were doing. They were just kind of, they were down three or four. And I got the impression that the Nets knew like, oh, we're fine. We're fine. And then a couple of three balls come out of nowhere. One, like off one leg, Martin hits the three. One second on the clock. Awesome. A terrible <laughs> shot. And he made it. But that's, that's how you lose those games. You're down six. Playing with your food. Now you're down nine with three to play. You got a 5% chance to win the game now. And then they make one more three and the game's over. So let's actually, it was a very interesting game. Um, the The Nets had won in Miami and then got home at 4 a.m. And now they're playing Charlotte, who they really kind of need to beat because um, if they lost, it would a, tie them in the standings and it was a tiebreaker, so they'd fall in the standings. Um, 
Kyrie's first game at home, kind of a playoff atmosphere, and um, they blew it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of weird things happened, and a lot of it was just unlucky. Actually, I noticed Kyrie was two for 17, and I was like, man, if he misses the next one, he's John Starks. Like, he's just one miss from John Starks, and then he made it. I was like, oh, that was smart. <laughs> like, that's a good time for a He mate. was bad, though. But, um, he was bad. He was bad. He, 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 I mean, was Durant weird. was exhausted. Uh, you yeah. made a point of telling me that there was a possession very late in the game that basically the game, the shot that ended the game was the Martin three in the corner, in the left corner. Yeah. Off of kind of like yeah. a, Durant did a good job defending at the rim, Henry, and there was a little bit of scrum action there. It took some energy from them to do that. Then the ball just got unlucky for the Nets. The ball gets, was in the corner, and Durant like, do I go? And he kind of hesitated. and You can see. He, but like, he didn't go. Not that he could have got there anyway, but he didn't even try. And Martin makes basically it's a practice corner three. Game's over at that point. Um, but if, that's an energy play. Durant in the yeah. first minute of the game, or Durant in the playoffs after a couple of days' rest, 100% he's making the effort, even after you just try to block the shot. But he didn't have any more left. And so it begs the question like, what in the fuck are you doing, Steve Nash, letting Durant stay in the entire second half, if, if I'm right? I think you played the entire. The entire second half. Yep. On a back to back, I didn't realize I got into four in the morning. So you told me earlier, what are you doing? Like, how was that a good strategy? I, we talked about this this morning. I, I don't think he has the power to take him out, right? Like the Nets used to have a coach who was bossy about stuff and they fired that guy. You know what I yep. mean? Like, like, I think they auditioned for Kenny Atkinson's replacement and got a wonderful coach. But I think that it's understood that like, this is, you know, just like LeBron's in charge in LA, like, KD is in charge in Brooklyn, right? And and uh, I, you know, I, my suspicion is that's fine, right? My suspicion is that you know, there's all this Wayne Winston years ago did this research basically to find the production arc of every player in the NBA as they move around from team to team, and they find that like coaches don't influence it, other than a few here and there. This is why that Rick Carlisle got the job in Dallas was because of this research. Phil Jackson made a difference, and almost nobody else did. Um, my guess is that Kevin Durant's a super brilliant basketball player who's been pl playing in the system his whole entire life. And he's like, eh, do I need someone who's going to hassle me about, you know, we play with DeAndre Jordan or, you know, or not. And like, um, whatever KD wants, right? He might as well just have what he wants because the team's probably not going to be very different on the court if they do listen to insert generic coach here, right? So my hunch is that this is just a superstar who's kind of earned the right to be in charge of these things. But that doesn't mean it's the best for him to be in charge, right? Like if he feels like 24 minutes of second half basketball is what he wants to do or what the he can give to the team, then like it might be nice to have somebody to say, hey, we got a lot of games, right? And we'd probably win more if, if you were fresher, right? Yeah, when you were telling me this on the phone this morning, um, I told you, I thought I heard hymns like in my mind. It was beautiful. Oh. Yeah, exactly. It was, it's so right, Henry. Uh, players, in many cases, are just smarter than their coaches. I don't mean in the NBA. I, I'm not excluding the NBA. But growing up, like we're, our, our, our country and our planet, and I'm lucky enough to have coached on three continents, is filled with terrible coaches. Sometimes they're also terrible people, but they're terrible coaches or just bad coaches or they're average, but the guy they're coaching is a star or the girl they're coaching is a, is a savant like KD. Mm -hmm. 
The mistake that is made all the time is we just assume they're genetic freaks only. Now, they are to some degree, to a large degree. And we, we just forget that there's another part of the puzzle, which is their brains is processed that fast, and the spatial connection, and their ability to play jazz, which forever is going to be changed my mind because of the book about Dirk that you initially read to me, where, where the, the challenge is what to do after the mistake is made in music and in basketball. It's so crazy brilliant. And so I think you're exactly right. I think it is true that, the, that finally... KD has the power to say, like, no, I, I, I've had enough. Not that I thought, not that I think he thinks that of Steve Kerr. I don't think that. I think that he thought Kerr might have been the exception. Like, but he played for Scotty Brooks, and nothing against Scotty Brooks, but he ain't no Steve Kerr. And so I think that, I think you're exactly right in every respect with that. But as we talked about it today, too, in baseball, I, I do watch baseball in the postseason, and there are t- most of the time, 78% of the time, when the pitcher is taken out of a game at a certain number of pitches he's reached, maybe he's having some lack of success. That's easy. But even there are times he's, he's having success, he comes out of games, and there's no emotion from him. He knows, all right, they saw something in my form, in my mechanic, in the speed of my fastball, whatever. Well, now I'm in a danger zone here. All right? Or maybe just guys are hitting the ball harder than they have all game. That's a sign. And they come out and don't complain. The t- there's 20, 30%, two of every three of every 10, they do complain. But they're still coming out. They don't have a choice. The manager is in charge. And they know the next pitch might, you, might mean you're going to see, have surgery in three days. And we're trying to prevent that. And that is what we don't get. When Kevin Durant plays not most of the second half of a back-to-back, all of it. And by the way, he sucked. Like, this is... An, this is it'd, be like, it'd, be, it'd be like listening to... When he was alive, Clarence Clemens playing the saxophone and sounding like me, who had never played it before. That's what Durant looked like. This is one of the greatest players of all time who, who just looked, he had nothing. And we're still letting him play. It just made no sense to me at all. And I think your point is exactly right. And it's too bad because I think Brooklyn is ultimately fatally flawed in part because they're just not going to have the gas when it matters most in the postseason with a loaded East where every series is huge. Well, I Henry, think, I, honestly, Bill Russell, oh, uh, the voice of God has arrived. <laughs> you, you talk about this often. I had to interject this point. Please. It is this idea about not wanting to lose the press conference or get talked about bad in sports talk radio the next day. Well, if you lose a game in which Kevin Durant plays 48 minutes or plays all 24 minutes in the second half, what is, what is the narrative? Well, what a warrior. He played every single minute, right. did everything he could. Well, no, no one's in trouble now, right? I, I, I was out there. I played. And every post-game uh, media session, Kevin Durant is asked about his minutes. And he's getting annoyed about it now that we stopped asking him. Because he said, I told you guys, just let me die on the floor. I don't care. It's fine. And there's, again, that sort of, like, warrior, macho hero mentality, which, you know, what is what it is in certain instances. But maybe in winning basketball, probably not the best. But that's the accepted dogma that we have in this country. Or in the I think, world, honestly, really. I think it's perfect in his job as player, right? I think it's absolutely perfect. It's just like he, he's the on switch is on. And he's like, I will go and play basketball, which is great because he's a basketball player, right? But somebody should think about next week and the week after that, right? And I remember like um, Bill Russell came to a Sixers, no, a Nets game, I want to say, like years ago, years ago. 
And there's a whole crew of us reporters like, oh, Bill Russell's here. And you trot around and ask him stories about the old days. And um, somebody asked him, like, how far ahead do you think? Like, how far ahead do you plan? He was a coach, too, right? And and he was like, he held up, like, the longest finger you've ever seen. Right? Like, <laughs> One game, just tonight. Think of nothing else, right? And that's perfect if your job is to go out on the floor and win tonight's game. And it's terrible if you're trying to be, like, you know, um, the phrase that I love is deliver the team to April, right? If you're trying to deliver the team to April ready to win a championship, think about how the Nets lost in the playoffs last year, right? Like they had one good leg from their six stars, right? Like, well, you fucked it up, didn't you? Like all those <laughs> legs are not working. Like bummer. Well, like how are we going to do better than that? Right. This is the, my, you know, like I think Kevin Durant's exactly right for him, but I think that, you know, somebody should be in charge of delivering the team to April ready to win a championship. Imagine had he not played at all in the first half, not one second, and then played the entire yeah. second half, which is what he did anyway. It's possible he would have been just as bad, but I, I would argue far less likely. If you get just one yeah. one full half of rest, uh, I, obviously in a game you don't have to do that. You can just just stagger minutes better, monitor their minutes more over the course of two games. I mean, they, they, you won the night before, which is important. Uh, it, this is where less important when they lost this one, though. Right? It is for sure. <laughs> They, they they didn't do it they didn't do it well. Uh, it it goes to that lack of trust. I completely agree with your assessment on that, and it's too bad. But when coaches can get that kind of buy in, we talk about this as coaches all the time. When we can get them to to, to our players to buy in across the board, A to Z. It doesn't mean they just accept it without uh, without thought. It, we we should get challenged by our our players, especially Hall of Famers. Like they should have a voice in this. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if this is part of being a team, the coach does his job, players do their job, and we can collaborate, and then we we work as as one collective collective unit, collective unit. Uh, then I just think optimally we wouldn't see Durant play the way he would play the other night. And then I also would throw out they ran almost nothing in the second. In the I watched the whole fourth quarter this morning. They ran one play that wasn't. Kyrie or Durant derivative. It was a Seth Curry sideball screen. He was real patient with it and basically got an uncontested layup. Not quite uncontested, but pretty close. But mostly it was Kyrie New York. And Durant jumped it off to Claxton a couple times. There were a couple of like nice little not in the fourth like, quarter. I don't Claxton think. second half maybe not in the fourth. I don't think. Maybe it was in the third. Yeah. But there were a couple of nice little like uh, Durant creating for others. Moments. Oh yeah, I'm not saying they didn't just... pass, but everything was yeah. just throw the ball to our stud. Let him iso ball, no. whatever. Let him hunt the mismatch and then make a play. And uh, I, I felt like I remember Steve Nash having some really beautiful sets last year. Like, it's not like he doesn't know good basketball. Not that he hasn't done a bunch of isos in his life or just basic ball screens with a Dentoni system. They ran some really great stuff last year and some this year. And they just, they just didn't. It was just Kyrie and Durant, take your turn. And both were bad. And But again, I think it was just a lack of urgency going into crunch time. And then you're just, the margin for error is too small at that point. And they got beat by a bullshit three in the right wing from Martin. And then a left corner three that was off a scrum, off a good defensive play. But that shit happens. You're better off that happening when you're up three or tied than when you're already down six. Then, then it's game over. That, that offense you just described, David, is the Oklahoma City Thunder from 2010. Right. Yeah. No, you're exactly. And the downside of it is, you know, like it, I mean, they're amazing players. It it it's good, but the downside, one downside of it is, like ev everyone up and down the bench is like, you're right, 
super tired Kevin Durant has to take all these shots because if anybody else took it, like me, we'd be screwed, right? Like, what a weird, uninspiring message that is. Yeah, and then think about, I don't think this is in our doc, but Memphis is 17-2 and two without Ja. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is instructive. There's something. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah, there's something going on. What do you see going there. on there? I've not broken them down. Maybe I should. Maybe that'd be. I was going to do a Raptors dive this week as I talked to you about it, but maybe I should do Memphis and what's happening because to me, that's a sign of, a, of systems are green lighted everywhere. Like when we can take out that guy and we're still driving like a Ferrari, that's pretty damn impressive, right? And um, kudos to Memphis for that. But that, I mean, Brooklyn should have that when you got when you consider you've got Kyrie and Durant together. You should have a system where when one of them is sitting, we're still rolling. And I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, we talked a little bit, um, veering around a little bit, but uh, you know, when when Clay Thompson came back, the yeah. the Warriors were I um, they had a very very good record yeah. um, number one defensive team and like top five is six offensive yeah. yeah you know now they're 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 back in the scrum they're basically five hundred since they're back and um and you're like yeah but it's just you know basically like Draymond's out and you can't expect to win when Draymond's out and he was out for most of that time um so Draymond is a player who if absent your whole team's screwed yeah basically he does so many saying, things right he does so many things right and Ja. MVP candidate, maybe on the board of the conversation. First team all Not NBA. That guy. First team all NBA, probably. First team all NBA. And it's you know, to me, like one really dumb analysis of that is uh, one of them's really good at both ends of the floor, right? Um, yeah. But I mean, you're not well, great at D. Now, now you're getting into, you know, what I've been focused on now for maybe a year or two with True Hoop, which is just, Gerard and I talked about this a couple of episodes ago, I think. Um, like, I'm just not. I'm not going to ignore the defensive side of the court the way I often have as a media member. As a coach, it's 50% of the game. And so I've just, when, I, when I'm evaluating players for scouting, uh, uh, for us, and, uh, or writing about teams, and I look at the playoffs, I'm just not going to forget about that side because it's half the battle. And as I said to you on the phone too, Draymond is that incredibly gifted player who uh, sets great screens, great passer, not just assist guy, but facilitator, ball mover, organizer. He's really a point forward. Um, and is this crazy, brilliant defensive player. And that matters. But uh, John Moran is young. Like, I-, I can envision a time where he does have that kind. When he's gone, like, we're, we, can't, we can't account for his absence. Like, he's got that kind of talent. Um, he's just young. He's not, he's not there yet. And good for Memphis to be so deep which we, I think is a really positive thing. And I know a lot of people are saying depth doesn't matter in the playoffs, and I just don't understand what they're talking about. Have we not been watching the playoffs? Have we not been watching how teams lose a player and they're just not nearly the same kind of team? Uh, what the Clippers did last year is unbelievable. Unbelievable to get to the finals without Kawhi and PG. Or, no, who was out last year? Kawhi. They lost their best player and still beat, beat Utah in six games. Mm-hmm. Depth does matter. You don't want to have a yeah. bad player coming in. I also think you want to have Reggie Jackson over there. <laughs> right, right. And I think want. coaching matters yeah. too. This is where uh, Ty Lu, I, I think the players believe in him. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe they believe in Steve Nash. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But uh, it's, it's a shame that uh, this incredible Nets team, now that Kyrie is cleared all the way through, 
still is probably too flawed. I just don't think they can. I don't think you're going to just change habits that quickly. Maybe I'm wrong. Cleveland did it a couple of times with LeBron where they just were not a very good defensive team in the regular season and really amped it up in the postseason. Amazingly so. They were amazing. Maybe the Nets can do that. If Ben Simmons could come back, that'd be great. Oh, Ben Simmons could change his whole story. Yeah, he right? could. Time. Not likely that he will. I think we would both agree. Yeah. But um, I do think they'll play better. But I, I'm really worried that KD is going to wear himself down. He's just going to play. And, and play that's the other way depth matters, right? Like, you know, I think we all agree that every playoff series you see stars just playing super exhausted at the end of the yep. rope. And I could tell you that in the second spectrum data, you can see that they're moving slower, not jumping right. as often. They're just like, you know, these are compromised players. Right. And that costs games almost every game once we get, you know, four or five games into the playoffs, right? Some Somebody out there is just wrecked with exhaustion. They all talk about it. Um, that's a depth problem, right? If you merely had better depth on your team. It's not depth that, like, so the argument is that, oh, it's a shorter rotation, so it doesn't matter. You're playing seven guys, doesn't matter who eight, nine, and ten are is the argument. It's like, well, if eight, nine, and ten were trustworthy and you had inspired them and believed in them and included them earlier in the year then they would play, and then player one would be better, yeah. and you'd win the series. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, it's, it's, as we said before, it's such a hard league to win consistently. All those yeah. things matter. You know, if you, if you have more talent overall, good for you. If you don't have yeah. more talent, generally speaking, how, how can we make up for that? How can we yeah. mitigate our, ish, our, our weaknesses and, and say, uh, emphasize on strengths? And this is one of the ways I think all teams could do better than what they do in, in the pros anyway. I, David, you have no idea how hard it is for me not to bring up uh, my new obsession, which is the docuseries Cheer, which I think everybody watched uh, two years ago, but I'm just catching up. And um, like it, cheerleading is bananas, but basically they just destroy college age bodies every practice. Somebody wrecks in some terrible way and there's just so many injuries and they're playing, but the but what one thing that happens is you just got to tag people in yeah. all the time, right? There's a it's a forty person team and they have twenty performing and there's just like backup, 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 wow. backup all the time. And part of me is like, you know, if you like this is a little bit how the playoffs are, right? Where like of course you want to have really good people in the Reggie Jackson role, right? Because of course you're going to need them, right? And part of me is like, well, okay, if you think Reggie Jackson or who's standing in for half the NBA in this story, right? If you think you might need Reggie Jackson, um, play him, right? Like, the only way to get him ready, play him. Play him now. Play him a month ago. Play him five months ago. And uh, and if you, can convince, if you can convince Kevin Durant to sit a little bit, like, so that second half someone else can get some reps, that other person is going to help the team. I think that's exactly the speech you give them, is we, we need you to rest for you. But for yeah. us, we have to be prepared for when you don't have a choice because you tweak an ankle or you pick up that third foul in the early second quarter. These things happen. We've got to develop our bench. If you want to win a championship, Kevin, I've never, yeah. he's never struck me as being an unreasonable person. I think that he just has to yeah. trust you when you say it. I mean, as we've talked about. You've got to have a strategy that people buy into, yeah. right? you gotta, you got to um, get into As John Chaney says in his book, When He Is an Attitude, as a coach, the, the, the equation is, are they buying what you're selling? And that comes mm -hmm. down to trustworthiness. And it's, right. it's a challenge for a coach. It's the whole thing with teams. It really is. Yeah. Um, okay. The Lakers, I, we talked last night and I was like, oh my gosh, David, we got to look at this. The Lakers are up like 20 
on the Pelicans, which is a very important matchup for them because that's a likely play-in yeah. matchup. And then I went to bed. <laughs> and it didn't end that way. The, well, the they Pelicans went to bed, too. One. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, when LeBron James is your answer at the five, you're just in, you know, you're in some trouble. He, they they had to play him at the five. Valanciunas is this gigantic man. Then they bring in Dwight Howard because he's also a large man, but not he's not the Dwight Howard of the Defensive Player of the Year awards, and he's not the De- Dwight Howard of a couple of years ago when he was still pretty good. He, he's dropped considerably, and so if he's the answer to your question, you know, you're asking the wrong question now. And they're just, they have a bad roster. And so LeBron, who supposedly hurt his ankle, I can tell you, I couldn't tell. He looked fantastic in the game. Uh, but they're, they just don't guard. And, uh, and the Pelicans, scrappy group. Like, if I, CJ was good. It wasn't great. It was good when it mattered. Brandon Ingram was fine. The, next year, if Zion will come back and play with them, which who knows what will happen, they're going to be pretty good, Henry. They got Herb Jones, a great defender. Just what they need. He's the perfect, he's a young PJ Tucker, not that he plays like PJ, but he already knows his role. And he's amazing at it. Like he is an and he's a rookie. They got him on the cheap for three more years, and then they'll control him after that. His his rights. Uh they're they're gonna and they got Jose Alvarado, one of my favorite players I've talked to you about. Uh they've got those are very defensive-minded guys. And uh I like I like where the Pelicans are going if Zion can get excited about their team, which which I think you should be. And it seemed like this, you know, those two teams obviously made a huge trade, which made the Pelicans young and, you know, unproven and green. And there's been drama and it made the Lakers old. Um, and that's exactly what happened in this game, right? It was uh, all these Trey Murphys and Jackson Hayes running around and uh, they have Dwight Howard and LeBron James trying to track them down. Um, if, you, if you're L.A., Henry, I guess I guess you're feeling, well, we got ourselves a ring with LeBron, but um, a, a ring. When I watched Brandon Ingram last night, uh, and he wasn't great when I was watching, but he's a hell of a player. And um, I thought, boy, Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Zubak and and, and Kyle Kuzma, like, they they were loaded. They, They had the stars. They had role players. If you had better management and better coaching like Frank Vogel then... Uh, I don't know that you couldn't just win a ring. Maybe, maybe you win zero rings, let's face it. But you might win two. Like, those are really good yeah. players, and, and they're really deep if they had done that. Uh, they chose LeBron, and I understand it, but it, it, this group is going to have just one ring, and that's it. Yeah, that's sad. Um, you have a little Pelican story of inspiration. Oh, yeah. Do you not? So just, yeah, this is, I think we can apply this to a lot of things. I I think I talked to Gerard about this, about Trey Murphy, uh, how he was struggling. He went down the G League and kind of found himself, and he's been great ever since. Um, My, my, this is a bias, but my buddy down there, my kid, Ryan Pineau, is the head coach of their G League team. He called me a couple days ago. His team, his team sucked, and on defense, he gave 140 points. And then he called me last night to say, Coach, we've won our last two games. We've done an unbelievable job on defense. And he just thanked me for always reminding him that we're first in the business to inspire. He said, yeah, we made some changes in terms of our strategy and X and O's, but we mostly just loved him, loved him up and said, we're better than this. We can play better defense than this. He's like, I didn't yell and scream. My coaches were surprised. We just loved them more and inspired them more. And we just came up with two monster possession, two monster games row defensively. 
And that's the role of G League is to get guys like Trey Murphy more confident when they're not. And Jose Alvarado, too, now both full-time guys really with the Pelicans. And also to find out who else can do the same kinds of thing in a role because they first do it in the G League. Uh, uh, but you got to coach them. And what Ryan earns their trust, it's hard. Uh, I'd love to see all 30 NBA coaches do the same thing. I think Ty Lue does that. I think Spo does that. Uh, the best coaches do that. Even if they're a little less than X's and O's, I'm fine with that. If they can get them to really buy in. You can always find an assistant that are better than X's and O's. But it's a big part of the story is to get guys to just want to play that hard. And, and I would we'll segue into the whole college thing. I know you're talking about St. Peter's. But there was Twitter stuff going around this week at Henry about college guys just play much harder on defense than pros. And it's, it's beyond <laughs> This is how you anger David Thorpe, everybody. It, it, this is how you get under David Thorpe's skin. Yeah, that's not to say players don't take some plays off in the NBA, especially a meaningless Tuesday night game when, when uh, they just had a back-to-back, whatever. The, the, the colleges are in the finals. Like, this is the final tournament. Of course, you're seeing it all the time. But it's so hard to play defense in the NBA. There's a reason why almost all rookies are – Terrible. Jalen Suggs is doing really well on defense. Herb Jones really well. That's about it. Pretty much on defense most years. One or two guys, maybe. Uh, it's hard. It's not because of Evan Mobley. Uh, uh, who is a uh, who is the guy? Uh, uh, Tori Messina, who is the great coach in Europe, best coach in Europe. Came to came to uh, America, coached for years with the Spurs, and had a blog. And he wrote one time that you know there's this idea that NBA guys don't play defense like you do in Europe. Like you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, it's unbelievably hard to play in this league. And if you just give crazy effort, you'll get killed. Because you also have to think. Like, you can't just drive 90 miles an hour in this league. You'll get, you'll get blindsided all the time. They'll lead you into what you, you'll rush into where you think the action is up, but we're doing it the other way. You know? You got to be thinking, too. And that's with the difference in college and NBA, in my opinion. There's just so much evident effort in college, right? Like, everyone just races around everywhere and just looks like, the hardest play you've ever seen. And then you compare that to like, there's just more players standing still more of the time in the NBA. But, and actually I'm going to surprise no one by blaming the schedule too, right? It is actually worse. For sure. Like when you're playing four games in a week, it's dumber strategy to run around the whole time. Right. Right. But, um, but yeah, but your point is just like, no, that's wasted effort by and large. Well, just like, there's so much stuff. Yeah. If you ever had an old dog and then a puppy, the old dog looks at that puppy thinking like, Slow down. What are you doing? You're going nowhere. Like, relax. Yeah. Let's, we have a long life here. We got about 10, 12 years. Let's just chill a little bit. Let's enjoy the nice weather. Also, the old dog thinks, I'm going to kill you. Right. So you guys are New Jersey guys. I want to hear Gerard's thoughts too. Um, I was so impressed with Shaheen Holloway at St. Peter's. Uh, I mean, at some point, you run out of talent when you keep going up and the teams are deeper and deeper. But in terms of how he coached and what his teams did, what his team did, like, I don't know how this guy doesn't get a huge job tomorrow. I, he probably will, unless he chooses to stay, which is fine. But someone should b- back up and bring Struck to him because he's, he's a hell of a coach. St. Patrick's legend, Shaheen yeah. Holloway. And Seton Hall. Legend. Shaheen Holloway. Yeah, Shaheen, Shaheen Holloway was in high school and I was in high school. Oh, so wow. I mean, he was, the, and this is stuff of legend, right? So like when you're in high school and it's like, you know, you're talking with your friends, it's like, oh, Let's go to the garden this weekend and watch this tournament with these four teams. Because, you know, there's no, we didn't have cell phones. There was no internet. Right. Like, you're just talking about stuff. And I'm like, Sheen Holloway, oh, that guy's so good. And it's like mythical, right? Because you, unless you went to a St. Patrick's game, how the hell would you know what it looks yeah. like? All you do is reading the Star Ledger box scores or whatever, the, or whatever you got, right? You don't, you don't know. 
But yeah, no, he he was that dude. Um, St. Peter's had a hell of a run, and he already has a job waiting for him, Coach. Uh, Seton Hall will officially name him as their head, or at least offer him the job. And um, now that they made the Elite Eight, I joked on Twitter. I was like, oh, the Briggs truck definitely getting backed up yeah. now. I was like, I that, he yeah. just, th- those those two extra wins, I was like, oh, that means we're adding maybe, you know, another 500000 another million, million and a half onto that deal, right? So Good. pretty cool. Pretty cool work if you can get it. So I'm you know, Daryl Morey used to often talk about like how the NCAA tournament makes, you know, so, so players into big national, super valuable, high rated stories, right? Just by its very structure. And um, this is a perfect example, right? I mean, this is, we don't have an NBA equivalent of St. Peter's. Like, you know, I, I don't know what it was like. I, was, I mean, I live in New Jersey, but like I had just, everybody seemed to be talking about St. Peter's everywhere I went or my phone, whatever. Like it just, look like what they did. They took this, you know, um, what the, the 70th best regular season college team suddenly is a big national story, which cannot happen without Impossible. a 64 yes. team tournament and Correct. a single elimination where like these Cinderella teams can go on these runs, which is just thrills people. Thrills non-sports fans. You don't even have to let all you have to do is like see the little picture of like this is where this team practices. And mm-hmm. This is the practice, and you're like, well, I know who oh, I'm rooting for. It, exactly, it's it's, right? it's incredible. Like, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and so to me, like the NBA is just missing the boat on this. Like it would just be if they had some big single turn, then every year there'd be some, you know, there'd be some Kings, Thunder, Rockets run, mm-hmm. which would Orlando just Magic, yeah. I, I, they were the, I you know, wonder the, though, your point on the St. Peter's and the practice gyms, I think it's really important. In the NBA, every team has a star or two, and they all have incredible facilities. They're, they're not seen as the same Cinderella as St. Peter's, and, and, and they aren't the same Cinderella. They, they're still paying $120 million in payroll, whatever. Um, I do, you know me, Henry, I've been, I've been trying to get a tournament midseason for a long time, or even preseason and midseason. Um, I, I happen to like, if, if you went to a five-game playoff, I wouldn't cry, as opposed to a seven-game series. But I like five, I, I like these multiple games and the messages, mismatches. But to your long-standing point, if we're losing fans because of it, we need we need to pivot. I don't want to lose the league because I mean of you can just see there's a score. Um, there are a few different competing like academic studies of like scoring how random a sport is, and this is not a very random sport, right? No. Football, soccer, you know, the whole game turns on like a bounce of a ball, a certain moment. This game is not very random. When you add a seven-game series, right? Both of those sports I just mentioned, the two most popular sports in the world, like they at most have a two-game. In soccer, they sometimes mm-hmm. have a home-and-home, but usually mm-hmm. it's single elimination, which means you're just on a thrill ride where it's very, very possible that the inferior team will win mm-hmm. um, any game you watch. It's just totally, just a keeper can fall down or an NFL team can have a turnover, and now it's just like, that decided that. And so like this, we just don't, like you know, fans don't like the little amount of randomness in this sport. When you make a seven game series, I'm not like hating on the seven game series. I'm just saying I learned this thing and now I feel like, Oh, well, you know, there's a debate about how you want NBA playoffs to go. But when you decide this, you say goodbye to everybody's mom who might ever want to get excited about St. Peter's. They're just like, what happened with Dwayne Wade? They're not watching 48 minutes. That's the first thing that probably needs to change. Is it's a long ass game in the NBA if you don't really love, like we love it, but they don't love it. They're going to struggle to watch 48 minutes of it. Well, what's the thing you said, Henry, or a couple weeks seven ago? Seven times 48, even more, right? right? right. <laughs> 
that I think makes a big point about this because we're, we're, we're both comparing basketball, right? Basketball is the product in the NCAA and in the NBA. Yeah. And you said to me, you're like, well, but the NBA, which is the superior product by far, shouldn't be losing to the product where we don't pay the kids and it's way inferior, right? But this amazing tournament, because it's single elimination, it captures the imagination of people who don't care about sport. Right? That's the thing. You don't care about sports. You're like, because everyone understands David and Goliath, like, right? You, no matter what, you know what that story is. Oh, superpower elite, tiny school with no chance. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we love to pretend we like underdogs, but, you know, I've got theories on that. We don't actually like underdogs. But, well, it's, it's not that St. Peter's <laughs> is better. Um, it's not that St. Peter's is rare. It's that there's 50 St. Peter's in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to get one. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're going to keep rolling dice. You're going to get, if it's not St. Peter's, like, in, People will just apply their own morality to it and be like, oh, the good guys won. It's like, nah, it's just fucking the one beat the seven because sometimes it happens. Like, it's just like, oh, how, how many? Like, you're, you're like, whatever. I'm, <laughs> curi- I'm curious. How many uh, one seeds have won their conference uh, in the NBA the last 10 years? I don't think it's quite as much. I mean, your point is there's no eight seeds winning. I think the Knicks won the East when they were an eight seed in Jeff Van Gundy's last yeah. year. Yeah. Because I read Chris Herring's book, I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's just one seed. I'm sure I know it's not, I know it's not just one seed. But um, the Warriors probably one of the last teams to do it. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. Toronto, you know, wasn't a one. Um, and that was only one of the years because the Rockets were the one seed the one year. So right. yeah, it's not a. It's, it's you know. And the Cavs. Well, the Cavs, then, the then that talks about that talks about the schedule, right? Do you go all out and try to win seventy games when you know, okay, these eighty two matter, right. but these sixteen, right. to your point, Henry, deliver us to April. These are the ones that what actually was, matter. What and was, even worse, the NBA is like, the NBA is so stable that like, I, I know a very, very smart basketball person who put tons of work into like trying to do a reasonable projection of where the standings would be at the beginning of any season. You know, they try to like, and basically, and after doing like, like big brains working on it for a long time, they're like, the easiest thing is just take last year's standings. Yeah. That's the best projection. Like, it's just so, you know how boring that is? Like... <laughs> Like, that's a major L. Like, there's not a single reality show with that script, right? It's just Correct. like, you know what? Why don't we just do the same things last season? It's like, because it sucks. Because like, 26 markets start every season with like, well, we're done. You know, like, not this year, though. What? Not this year. Not this year. This is I mean, a we're blown. We're, our minds are blown that we're at 12, but the NCA's at 64. Like, it's <laughs> a big number. But meanwhile, and I've been touting the mid majors for. Ever since they started getting, they started the uh, getting rid of a uh, high school to pro um, and had be one and done. So they're there one year. You know who, who's there right now? Are you kidding me? Like the only mistake made for this Final Four is that Kentucky isn't there instead of Villanova. But it's not like Villanova isn't an absolute power. What is it? Duke? I mean, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, yeah, Nova. On. I mean, it's the Blue Bloods, but, right? And, I and, mean, and, <laughs> and sometimes I mean Henry's not wrong. Obviously, St. Peter's just made it to the Final Eight. And we're seeing more mid-majors than ever. And all those are great stories. But the Final Four has had a couple of the Butlers and the George Masons with Jim Laranega. And, and I think BCU made it once with Shaka Smart. But Norm And Dayton got close. But normally it's the Blue Blood. And they have huge advantage in so many ways. Uh, but it's the same kind of thing. Instead of best of seven, you got to just keep winning to, to advance. It's starting with your conference tournament. But um, I, I do think, Henry, we should embrace your idea and find ways to bring more excitement and get, I, I, as I've said, I want to do a midseason tournament and I want it to be 40 minutes. I don't want to be 48 minutes. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to do two timeouts, non-cum a half. International rule mm-hmm. kind of thing. Let's make it snappier. 
I don't need it snappier. Your mom does. Let's make it snappier. <laughs> she and does. It's fine. I'm fine with that. And let I mean so not she everyone wants to take a nap. You know, she wants a nap. Not, <laughs> not everyone. It's like it, uh, it's like fourth hours. quarter. It's like it's like ninety nine ninety nine fourth quarter. Your mom's like, oh, right. Time, I need a nap. Like, not just... everyone can watch a three hour movie. I I don't want to. I mean, do you guys movie. watch the backup show? If I'm watching an NBA game, I like to watch the NBA game on tape delay. Then I can fast forward the commercials. But sometimes I watch it live, and when I do, I have to have another show, right? Like, <laughs> like I'm fully watching, and I and I'll, I will have two shows the whole time. I'm like, I can't just watch. I can't watch two and a half minutes of commercials every two and a half minutes. Like, it's just my brain's like, oh, I'm so tired of State Farm right now. Oh my god, like it's just way State too Farm. Much. Shout, shout out to MBE fun sponsor State Farm. <laughs> Henry goes right for the jugular. MBE is number one sponsor. State Farm. Let's kill right. I got love for the first three, four State Farm commercials, but like the 80th one, I'm like, oh god, I'm just like, I'm gonna die one day. I spent way too much time watching State Farm commercials. Like, way too much time. If I'm watching games in my house with my wife, uh, so I can continue. <laughs> to maintain our marriage and we'll talk during commercials and uh, I'm not going to be flipping around but there might be a commercial that catches her attention and she'll say you know you must have seen this no like what Henry said is right first of all I have multiple TVs in my office and so I don't have to change channels I'm just I don't I have no idea what these commercials are so recently I've been watching more games at home with my wife my son was in town and I saw some like really funny commercials like there's one with um (laughs) Is a, a Boban with the coaster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seen that before? Yep. It's delightful. <laughs> I never saw it before. Yeah, the, That's the, when the, I'm the, watching the, the World Tag Championships. <laughs> <laughs> but see, David Thorpe is giving everybody the 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 blueprint to how you work this. You normally watch four screens of four games at a time, so you don't know what commercials no are. Then when you have to watch one game at a time, commercials are a revelation. Oh, cool. But when everybody only watches one game at a time, that Boban commercial gets really boring after ten times. Oh, <laughs> You're like, all right. I'm still. I'm still uncovering new delightful things about it because I've seen it like two or three times. <laughs> I'm sure that's the discovery. Gonna, I'm sure it's going to get boring very quickly. Yes. Um, we should have. We have one little basketball point to cover in like two minutes. David, um, you think there may have been a little shuffle in who might be the top overall draft pick based on tournament play? Mm. Oh yeah, I thought uh, uh, Paolo for Duke showed a little more assertiveness. He he took 11 shots in the last game. It's not enough. But probably that's Duke's fault, I think. They don't really look from enough. They have a lot of other players. Uh, but I, I, Jabari Smith didn't play as well. I think, I think we're seeing Paolo could be like a Scotty Barnes in the sense that, boy, Scotty was much more assertive as a pro than he was in college. Well, if Paolo does that, he's a very different player than Scotty. Well, somewhat different. Uh, that's interesting. And also, not at the top of the draft, but Mark Williams, Gerard, the way he played the 7-1 guy, with apparently a 7-8 wingspan. I thought it was 7-7, seven, 7-8. Seven, seven, That's a giant and The way man. he moves, and I saw him play in high school against my son, uh, he, he's a terrific player and probably the most outstanding player. They gave Paolo the award, but I, I thought he was the best player in the Final Eight game for sure. He's He looks like he's a definite lottery pick now, and that wasn't the case before, and I'm a fan. I think he could really be a very, very good guy in the NBA. Okay, shout Legal. out to... Legal, Judy, TikTok, everybody, haunting us. Thank you. Thank you, Gerard. Thank you, David.